0: Church family, this is an exciting time, and uh, I'm fired up to be here. And we're, gonna be, we're back in 1 Corinthians 3. We took a break last week to talk about the election some out of Romans, and that was still was the message was about unity. Today, the message is about unity as well. We'll be out of 1 Corinthians 3, back to our Church Matters series, specifically out of Corinthians. And the topic is unity. Every Christian on the face of the earth wants one thing. And that one thing is to see Jesus' church built up around the world and locally. This is what Christians are about on this side of eternity. Participating with our Lord and seeing the Lord build his church. And this is what our passion is. This is what we're about. So today we're going to see how Christ builds his church. Paul chronicles out of 1 Corinthians 3 how Jesus is building his church. So please turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 15 is what we're going to read. I'll be reading at the NASB version. If you have your Bibles, please turn there and follow along. If you have an electronic device, let's use that. And let's rise as we will honor the Lord with his word being read. What a treasure that we have here in the Bible. This is God's word. Verse 1. And brethren... And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Are you not like mere men? Verse 5, what then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I, this is Paul, laid a foundation and another is building on it, Apollos. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it will be, show it will be, it, because it will be, it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Finishing up here. Verse 14 and 15. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. I pray your spirit will allow us to see more clearly what you're saying out of the scriptures. Help us to love your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, Upon this rock, the rock of who he is, the truth of who he is, I will build my church. Jesus makes a promise. This is what keeps us going as Christians, that Jesus is building his church, no matter how hard it gets. The question I have to the church family is this. Is Christ building his church here at Evergreen SUV? Is he actively building his church here at Evergreen SUV? Answer is yes, absolutely. In no unclear terms, yes, he is. And this is what's exciting for me. I've been very encouraged to see just people just express their hunger for the word. People have been excited. Thank you, God, for taking us deeper into the scriptures. Thank you for allowing us to see this text more clearly Thank you for preaching. I remember visiting with a sister, Itzko, 102-year-old Itzko, and she's just saying, thank you for taking us deeper. Thank you for addressing sin in our lives. Thank you for uh, uh, appealing to us to be holy before God. My eyes are watering as I'm hearing this. This is incredible. I see an excitement for what the Lord is doing. It's exciting to see. But at the same time, as Pastor Terry talked about, it's difficult. It's challenging. And we do have unique challenges. And as I was studying 1 Corinthians 3 this week, I came across this in my Baker commentary, which is written by Kistemaker and Hendrickson. And this is what this said. I was like, this really hit me between the eyes, saying, wow, are you writing about our church? So this is word for word what they wrote about, about a unique challenge that evergreen SUV is going through they write when a person who practices medicine or law opens an office in a given location more often than not he or she will stay in that place until retirement the doctor or lawyer serves the community and generally feels no need to move to other areas however on the other on the on the other hand on the average a pastor moves every four or five years when he reaches retirement, he, he has usually served in half a dozen churches. During his early years in the ministry, he normally relocates once every four years. And his later ministry usually stays a decade or more in a given congregation. Few are the pastors who fill a single pulpit for 25, 30, or even 40 years. When a minister stays in one church longer than two decades, people begin to identify the congregation by his name. Then the preacher tends to become the only driving force in the con- in his congregation, with the result that the congregation may splinter when the pastor retires or dies. Brothers and sisters, we're going under transition right now. We're right in the middle of it. Here's more: some churches have flourished during long pastorates, while others have enjoyed a variety of gifts and talents of pastors who served for shorter durations. This is the key. All churches, however, should be built not on the name and talents of a single pastor, but on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Foundation. When this happens, the church remains strong and continues to flourish. As pastors come and go, the church built on Jesus Christ endures to the end of time. Foundation, right? This is our foundation is built on Christ. So as we're going through challenges, we need to see the positives of what the Lord is doing. Otherwise, we'll be distraught. We need to see if, in fact, is Christ building his church at Evergreen SJV? And in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see how does Christ build his church. Point number one, Christ addresses, fill it in now, spiritual immaturity. Christ addresses spiritual immaturity. Our Lord is preparing the workforce. He uses you, me, brothers and sisters to help build the church. Although God builds the church, we get to be used by him. And in the church of Corinth, which is an established church, Paul invested a lot. He invested 18 months of his life there living in Corinth, personally teaching what the Lord himself taught Paul. Paul was personally mentored by the risen Lord perhaps two to three years in Abitur, Arabia, in the wilderness. The risen Lord was with Paul and gave him revelation of the truth of who he is. He didn't learn from another person. He learned from God himself. He wrote four letters to the Corinthian church, right? Two of them had been canonized, First and Second Corinthians. He sent his best. He sent Apollos to take over to continue the work that he established. So five years later, after planting the Corinthian church, Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and this is what he says. And in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, as mature men, but as to men of flesh, fleshly men, worldly men, as to infants in Christ. Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as mature men. "It's, it's, It's been five years, and I gave you everything I got. You should be much more mature than this. But you're still baby Christians. This is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. They're acting as men of the flesh or worldly, immature. They acted like the world. And basically, he was saying, we need to grow you guys because the Lord is building his church. We need you to be mature. Now, infants in Christ, the Bible says right here, babies in Christ, these are genuine believers. He even calls, calls them brothers, right, brothers and sisters to open up this chapter So these are genuine believers, but they were immature. They were baby Christians. They were undeveloped. And verse 2 says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Why? Well, milk is baby food. Before Gerber existed and all the formulas existed, babies drank mother's milk. Babies cannot eat solid things. They, 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 didn't, they, they don't have teeth developed. Their digestive system's not ready for this. They just can't absorb it. What is milk? Milk is an analogy for truth. So the milk is good. It's true. However, it's the ABCs of doctrine. It's, it's the starting point. It's perhaps enough to be saved and to be a saved man or woman, but it takes you only to some point in terms of sanctification or spiritual maturity. The, the Corinthians needed to be developed. they were baby Christians, right? Even after all that Paul did for them, he had, they had the best. Next to Christ, they were given the best to develop, but they were still immature. I remember with our four children, you know, I used to help out, and, uh, you know, early on especially, feeding the babies. Were, they drank milk, all right? A lot of times, Charlotte fed the babies, but they drank milk. And you remember what happened next, fathers? All right, well, what happened is that we got rice cereal ready. You put some milk in this, in this dry powder. We mixed it up, and we made some kind of a, a rice cereal with it and kind of almost like, a, like kind of some mush, and we gave it to the babies. And from there, they graduated to some kind of a Gerber. And then I remember giving our children these puffs and these Cheerios, you know, as, as they developed, little teeth. And that's what happened. There was a progression, milk, cereal, Gerber, some kind of a puff to grow. This is just, just like the life of the Christian. Christians need milk initially, but they get weaned off the milk and start to move towards solid foods. Solid food, what is that? This is mature food. This is for mature believers. Babies need significant building blocks. They need protein and certain vitamins and certain minerals to grow beyond what the milk is able to offer. And so solid food is analogous to digging deeper into the word. Giving, digging, digging, digging deeper into the word. Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 says this, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? This is what we live off of. This is what we grow off of. The deeper we take you into the word, the higher we see Christ. Deep. We need to go deep into the word. The more deeper we get into the word, the more satisfied our appetite is as we see Christ lifted up. This is the mature believer. And as Paul was saying that they weren't able to, this is more of an exhortation to elevate for the Corinthian church. He wasn't saying, oh, you're a baby Christian, so we understand. He's saying, it's time. It goes, it goes even at verse 2, it's, even now you're not yet able 5 years later you're still not able to take in solid food. Paul's a true pastor, right? Paul was addressing the issue with the Corinthians. And here's a thought. Immature babies are cute, right? Babies are cute. They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they're cold. They cry when they want to be held. They cry when they it's time to go to sleep. We think it's cute. This is how babies are supposed to be, of course. Of course. Babies are naturally just self centered. They need this is how they communicate. They, they only care about eating, sleeping, and maybe being held. This is initially what babies care about. And the Corinthians lacked development, you know. And let me just read to you Hebrews 5, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. This is the author of Hebrews saying the same thing to the Hebrews, the, uh, the church. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have. Need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary or the ABC principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who practices only or who only partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. Let me go to verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Those who are mature are able to discern good and evil. Remember last week we talked, able to call balls and strikes, right? Mature believers are fed by the word. Therefore, they're able to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's pleasing to the Lord or what is not. Immature adults, on the other hand, is, if babies are cute, immature adults are ugly, Right? When you see an immature man or woman, it's pretty bad. That's not how it's supposed to be. Verse 3 here, back to Corinthians 3 says, There's jealousy and strife among you. Right? Jealousy is about self centeredness. I start comparing myself to others, I start coveting other people. Strife is also self centeredness. When I don't get what I want, therefore there's strife, I call strife. These are immature characteristics of a Christian, right? Bible says you're fleshly, you're you're not acting like a Christian, you're acting very worldly, you're acting like mere men. And immaturity creates division in the church, right? Because you forget what this is about, this is not about us, it's about God and building how he's building his church. So they started saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, right? They started trying to uh, create factions based on personality cults. But verse 4 at the end, Paul gives an exhortation. Are you not mere men? Paul is calling them to elevate. Paul is calling them to elevate. And Jesus loves his people. He loves evergreen. He loves Evergreen. I want to encourage your church family. Jesus loves our church family, his church family. And he demonstrates his love to us in many ways. And what does Christ-like love look like? Well, through Paul, it was very direct and clear. Our Lord did not allow the Corinthians to stay as spiritual babies or baby Christians. He's serious now. The Lord is serious about building his church, right? This is a topic. How does Christ build his church? He's absolutely serious about building his church. Our Lord knows that babies are not able to do any building. Spiritual babies are not able to contribute. So this is an exhortation to mature. Paul did not coddle them. Paul did not just say, it's okay, it's okay. He challenged them. He was very direct with them. He did not allow them to play church. John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur has been a great friend to our church. He's been a great friend to me. He writes in his in first his First Corinthians uh, commentary. Like many Christians today, the Corinthians seem quite content to stay on milk. Some congregations do not want the pastor to get too deep. Their fleshly habits are not much threatened. The congregation wants scripture to be preached so superficially that their sin is not exposed, much less rebuked and corrected. This is Pastor MacArthur who's been pastoring a church for 51 years. He's 81 years old. He showed up in 1969 at Grace Community Church. And this is what he established, a Bible-teaching church where everything, life revolved around the scriptures. So our Lord is building his church. You know how he's doing it first and foremost? He's making us more mature. That's what he's doing. Mature Christians are able to help come alongside Christ and build his church. Let's go to point number two. How does Christ build his church? Well, Christ causes, fill it in now, the growth. Christ causes the growth. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 3 says, and then... What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Christ assigns his workers. Once he has mature believers, he's able to assign and deploy his workers to do the work. And Paul, an apostle, Paul and Apollos, Paul calls them, themselves mere servants. And this word servant is diakonos in the original language. Diakonos, the word picture here, could be a table waiter. A table waiter. Someone who goes to the back kitchen and serves the food, and when you're, when you're done eating, they take the plate and wipe down the table and bring you back. That's the role of the table waiter. And that's what Paul calls himself, a table waiter, a diaconos. This is the word we get for deacon. But as our Lord deploys his servants... The menu is set. The menu is set. It wasn't Paul or Apollos' job to come up with some kind of a, 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 a diet or food for the people to eat. God is the one that sets the menu. Paul and Apollos and other preachers, our job is simply to serve up the meal. Amen? This is and then where the meal is, is in the word of God, the Bible. And he just said, why, why are you making such a big deal out of us? We're just mere servants. We're just mere busboys. We're just trying to bring you the food. And in verse 6, it says that Paul planted and Apollos watered. What did Paul do? He planted. Evangelism. What did Apollos do? He watered. Edification. What does that sound like? What have we been talking about this whole year? That's right. Discipleship. Discipleship. They're all about discipleship, evangelism and edification, planting and watering, helping plants grow. Back in 2018, just kind of going back my, to my old life 12 years ago, I used to leave my house early in the off season and drive up to places like Bakersfield, right? Leave at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'd go through the grapevine. And during that time in the, in the winter months, it could be treacherous now. And if you've driven up the 99 in the winter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Fog is notorious during that time. I mean, we're going at a snail's pace once we get on, once we get on the 99. And I'm following an 18-wheeler. That's your best bet. You don't want to follow a car. You want to follow an 18-wheeler because they've got the big lights and they can see above. So you want to follow that 18-wheeler as close as you can and pray and hope that the 18-wheeler doesn't get into an accident or otherwise a 10-car car pileup. It's it's a mess. So as I'm driving through to do some recruiting up in Bakersfield and other places, I got to know the area pretty decent. That area is called San Joaquin Valley. And the San Joaquin Valley number one industry is agriculture. Agriculture is a billion dollar industry. There's enough produce that's produced in the San Joaquin Valley to feed the planet, really. But one winter, everything came to a halt. Now, you got to keep in mind, these farmers are the best in the world. They know how to plant. They know how to fertilize. They know how to water. They know the timing of things. They know, they know how to shift their crops around. They did everything perfectly. But in 2008, there was a massive frost that killed all their crops. I mean, it was so bad that the government had to come in and aid the farmers. They lost everything. So the point here in, in, in the church We could do everything well. We could plant well. We could water well. But what does verse 6 say at the end? I planted Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. God was causing the growth. Verse 7, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. These servants are nothing. I'm nothing. But God who causes the growth. It's about God. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about me. It's not about another pastor. We need to be faithful to plant and to water, but God is the one that causes the growth. He causes the growth. And as we read along here, we're called to be unified in that approach. Verse 8 Now he who plants and he who waters are one. We have the same goal, we may have different roles. The timing of our involvement might be different, but we have the same goal to see the church grow and see what God does in it. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. God owns us. We belong to God. You are God's field. The harvest belongs to God. And God's building. God's building. So we're called to be unified because we're called to be about the same thing. And this metaphor about growing plants is clear here. And then Paul shifts gears a little bit here and just says, he gives us a new metaphor of God's building. We're called God's building. So as God causes the growth, we're going to shift gears as well and use the metaphor of building. So how does Christ build his church? This point number three. How does Christ build his church? Christ establishes, fill it in now, The foundation. How does Christ build a church? Christ establishes the foundation. Verse 10 of Corinthians. According to the grace of God which was given to me. God graced Paul to serve in this special way. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul had the unique privilege of planning the foundation at Corinth. Now, Paul calls himself a wise master builder. In other words, he was the architect. And an architect needs to have his plans in order. He needs to have his blueprint blueprint ready. And one of the most vital things that the blueprint should uh, have is how we lay down the foundation. Where is the foundation? And so Paul carefully laid down the foundation. I did some studying in in the city of Corinth, and there's there's some ruins there. And the temple of Apollo is still there. This temple is 2,500 years old, all right? This temple is 2,500 years old. Some of the columns are still there. It's a ruin, right? No one's using it. But this is a pagan temple that was built over 2,500 years ago. And what's left in Corinth after earthquakes, after wars, are some of these pillars, but Most importantly, the foundation. This foundation, as you can see, are built with massive foundation limestones that have been carved out and carefully placed. And this structure still is upright to some levels. The foundation is the key. And as Paul laid down a solid foundation, remember what he talks about 1 Corinthians 2.2? This is his philosophy of ministry, 1 Corinthians 2.2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I'm going deep in the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn everything we can about Jesus Christ and lay down His foundation and what His death and resurrection means. Jesus and the gospel is where Paul. Specialized in. This is the foundation. This is where he went deep. He was digging deep. Anyone who lays down a foundation needs to dig deep and get to the bedrock so that they could put the stones in place. Paul worked hard at making sure the foundation of Christ was laid. 1 Corinthians 2 2. Now, right here at the end of verse 10, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. That's Apollos and others. But this is a word for us today. Verse 10. At the end, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. This is talking about us today. How are we building on this foundation of Christ? Every ministry, every program, every mission strip, every work that we're part of needs to be about What? Planting and watering, what is that about? Evangelism, edification, what is that about? That's right. Everything that we do needs to be about discipleship. We're basically, we're building lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're helping followers of Christ to develop into spiritual maturity. If we, and, and we're looking to evangelize non-believers with the message of the gospel. This is what th- this is about. We are here to Build followers of Christ. When the message of Christ in the gospel is light, you know what happens? We may gather people. We may do programs. We may do ministries. But it, be, it could become Christless. We could be doing it for all other reasons but Christ. Or minimally, it could become Christ-like light. Christ-light. Right? or we're doing a lot of things, we're involved in certain programs, Christ is mentioned here and there whenever, but it's very light. That's what we want to avoid. That's why when Paul says, each man must be careful how he builds on it, precision is necessary. As you evaluate the ministries at Evergreen SUV and the ministries that you're involved with, is a thread of discipleship going through that ministry? Can you see The focus about that ministry is about developing followers of Jesus Christ. Discipleship. That's the great commission. So this is as verse 11 talks about for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. There is no other foundation brothers and sisters which is Jesus Christ. The foundation in no unclear terms is about Jesus Christ and We're here to help build up faithful workers for Christ. Remember, it's about building his church. It's about building his church. Let's go to the fourth and final point here, brothers and sisters. How does Christ build his church? Christ rewards, fill it in, the faithful worker. Christ rewards the faithful worker. A faithful worker is the one who is focused on fulfilling the Great Commission. Building, go and therefore make disciples, right? Building disciples. And faithfulness is the issue. Faithfulness is the issue. And verse 12 and 13 talks about two types of materials. And let's just read it here, verse verse 12. Now if any man builds on the foundation which is uh, with gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. How is it going to become evident? What type of material you use in the building project? For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The fire test. What is the fire test? It's basically, it's to examine the genuineness of something. When when the silversmith or goldsmith wanted to test the genuineness of gold or silver or to purify it, he would apply heat to it. Right? Because it melts at certain temperatures. But God says he'll give us a fire test. Right? And basically, did we invest in trivial or foundational or worldly things? It'll be shown. Was it trivial? Was it worldly? Or is it foundational on Christ. And the fire test, what is the fire test? In simple terms, which one of these materials will burn up? Wood, hay, straw is combustible. What does that mean? That means, children, that means these things could burn up in fire. Obviously, straw and hay burn up quicker than wood, but nonetheless, wood would burn up eventually. This is ministries built on the wisdom of the world. These are ministries that do not emphasize discipleship. This is wood, hay, and straw. These might be good things and positive things, but this is not church-building things. And what does this look like? All right, I titled this, How to Build a Church According to Man. Back in the day when I first uh, you know, became a believer, God was maturing me, and for various reasons, God opened up opportunities to visit different churches. So I was able to see different churches all right, in Southern California, and then later on up in Washington. And I could see what their emphasis was and, and, and the things that they did. And these are some of the things that I learned that people relied on how to build a church according to man. Number one, how to make non believers feel comfortable. That was a point of emphasis. How do we make non believers feel comfortable in our midst? And I remember as I got to preach at this church, one of the biggest churches in the world. During their worship set, they played the rhythmics. So, you 80s fans, you know what I'm talking about. Annie Lennox. All right, so you, some of you kids may not know, ask your parents, but they're playing secular music. And I'm thinking to myself, this is interesting. Can it feel right? Another event that I went to, another Christian event, they're playing ACDC, Thunderstruck. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what is this about? The strategy is to make non believers feel comfortable. All right? Here's another one. How to preach attractional messages. All right? This is another thing that I kind of learn. These messages or sermons or messages that are affirming. Make people feel good. Never talk about sin. Never talk about hell and judgment. That would be too offensive. Shorn up the message. You know, it's kind of almost like a glorified TED Talk. Keep it simple. Right? That's, uh, these are the things that I hear. How about this one? How to appeal to the millennials. Right? In order to keep the church growing, you've got to appeal to the millennials. You've got to wear a certain style of clothing. Right? Even if I wanted to, I couldn't wear those skinny pants. Right. Those skinny jeans. My calves are too big. I look like Popeye. i got these skinny upper legs and my calves are bulging. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't wear those pants. Have a thriving coffee ministry. I mean, I love coffee. I mean, I, I, I'm praying and hoping for this too at our church. Having a contemporary look, you know, these are the things that's going to help grow the church. Now, these aren't bad things, but they're not ultimate things. These are completely secondary things. But this is where a lot of the energy and focus was going towards. Now, on the other side, Bible talks about gold, silver, precious stones like rubies and diamonds and emeralds, right? Right? The fire test, these are non-combustible things. These things do not burn easily. I mean, with enough temperature, these things will melt. But just regular fire is not going to burn these things immediately. It was interesting. When I got called into pastoral ministry, I attended a conference called the Shepherds Conference in 2018. And this is a conference uh, for pastors put on by Grace Community Church in in the San Fernando Valley. And the theme of this conference was called, I Will Build My Church. And I want you to contrast the style approach from what I just read to you earlier. Now, this is a, these are the things that were emphasized. They simply opened up Matthew, Galatians, Colossians, Revelation, 1 Timothy, and John. And you know what they did? They preached over 10 sermons to the, peop- the, the pastors in attendance. These were the topics on I Will Build My Church conference The pastor's role is to sanctify the sheep. Another sermon was about the Great Commission, fulfilling the Great Commission. Another sermon, Christ is the head of the church. Another sermon, elders or pastors are to be a certain type of leader in the church. Another sermon focused on unity in the church. Another sermon focused, Christ is our first love. Do not abandon your first love. Another sermon focused on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Another sermon which capped off the conference was guarding the gospel, making sure the gospel does not get diluted or corrupted in your church. I mean, this is what the conference is about. It's about ministering the word and equipping the pastors and to, for the pastors to give the word. This is important now how we understand this. Believers will be rewarded, all right? And, and reward is different from a gift, In verse 14, it says, If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a gift, a reward. Excuse me. He will receive a reward. Verse 15, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, comma, yet so as through fire. This is not talking about salvation. I'm going to talk about rewards. Reward is completely earned. It's on merit. This is about a wage, another way to save reward, another translation. Maybe your Bible says wage. He'll receive a wage. Salvation is free, right? Second, uh, 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 Ephesians chapter 2 says we're, we're saved by grace as a free gift so that no one may boast. Salvation comes from believing in the messages of the gospel, Believing, I, I I'm I'm gonna follow you, Jesus, as my Lord, and throw my arms into you, my myself into your arms, Jesus as my Savior. It's a free gift. Free gift. But a reward is completely earned. It's about merit. Christians will be rewarded with eternal reward someday. Bible talks about certain crowns that Christians will get. The Bible talks about certain responsibilities that, that will help Jesus rule with, even. By the way, in the end, we're going to grab our count, crowns and cast them at the feet of Jesus anyway, but nonetheless, our Lord says, Well done, good and faithful slave. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? There is a reward. And what is this reward based on? Is it based on success, numbers? Is it based on how many people we could gather into our church family? Is it based on the size of our property? Is it based on a number of converts or baptisms? No. What we just read earlier is that God is the one who does the growing. Faithfulness is based on faithfulness. God causes a growth, but his workers are to be faithful to the scriptures. Are we ministering the word? Are we emphasizing Christ? Is he the foundation of our lives? Do we keep pointing people back to Christ? Right? This is what our Lord will judge us on in terms of these rewards. Our faithfulness. So, point number one how does Christ grow his church? Well, he addresses spiritual immaturity. Point number two how does Christ uh, grow his church? Well, Christ causes the growth. Point number three how does Christ grow the church? Well, Christ establishes the foundation. And point number four, how does Christ grow his church? Well, he rewards the faithful worker. This is what he's doing right now. Church family. Maybe may be challenging, but know that our Lord is working. This is exciting. Here's an application. I want to apply these four points to us. I want to train our church family what Pulpit time is about. Every time you come to the Lord's Day, expect to be fed. Have your mind right. Have your notes ready. Have your hearts right. Be prayed up. Lord, help me to understand and see more wonders from your word. I pray your word will be treasured into my heart. Sanctify me in the the truth. Your word is truth. So when you approach the Lord's Day, whether you're on live stream or in person next week at 1030, come ready, come prayed up. To be fed. The pulpit is Evergreen SJV's family dinner time. This is where we eat together. This is where we know we're eating the same thing. This is where we come, become unified because we're sitting under the same preaching, under the same word. These are the things that you may have to chew over. You may have to go over the notes again this week. In your branches, you might have to uh, apply these truths more deeply in a specific way. This is maybe where you talk to a brother or sister. Hey, did you get that point? Let's pray about that. Let's talk about it. You may have to chew on it again. So my prayer is that we're training our church family to sit under preaching. But you have to be ready. You got to come with ears to hear, eyes to see. And come expectant that the deeper you go into the word, the higher Christ will be lifted up. And the higher Christ is lifted up, the more you love him. The more you love him, the more you become like him. This is the goal. During this information blitz era with the internet, social media, and everything else, we don't need less preaching. We don't need lighter preaching. We need deeper preaching. We need more preaching. We need to offset all that information that we're all taking in constantly throughout the week with the truth of the word. This is what we're talking about. Make no mistake about it. Christ is growing his church. It's happening. But it's hard. It's hard. But we need to recognize what he's doing. Let me conclude with this story here it's called The Bricklayers. There were two brick masons laboring in the heat of August. Surrounded by a pile of bricks full of dust and dirt. Sweat was pouring down their head and their faces as they tirelessly worked day after day. They were dirty and tired. Their faces were wrinkled. They were taxed. It was hard. Both men had calloused hands because they had blisters because they are dealing with Hard bricks all day, laying them down constantly, all day, nonstop. Then one day, a passerby came. He was a young boy, full of optimism. And the boy curiously asked the first bricklayer, What are you doing? What are you doing? The first bricklayer curtly answered, Can't you see? I'm laying bricks. It was hard. The young boy left the first man, dejected, as the reply robbed him of some of his enthusiasm for life. Then the young boy saw the second bricklayer with some apprehension this time because of what just happened. And he asked again, What are you doing? The second bricklayer with a bright look in his eye, Answered with excitement and joy and with great dignity in his voice. That's what he answered. Young man, I'm building a cathedral. The boy left with hopefulness and enthusiasm. What was robbed from him before was given back to him twofold by the excitement of the second bricklayer. Brothers and sisters, we're helping Christ build His church. There's nothing more rewarding than this. There's nothing greater than this. It may be hard. Christ said it's going to be hard. But is there excitement and joy in our eyes as we get to be with our Lord and be part of this building project called the church? We get to be part of His faithful workforce. Let's have joy. Let's have enthusiasm for what we get to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for how you encourage us through the Bible. Jesus, we know you're good on your promises. You said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And in 1 Corinthians 3, Lord, you make it clear how you're doing it. Thank you for challenging us, Lord. Lord. Help us to grow out of spiritual immaturity to maturity. Help us to continue to grow more mature and develop a strong appetite for your word. Will you do this, Lord? By by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you take us deeper into the word so that you take us deeper with you, Lord? Father, we know that you're causing the growth. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to be faithful to what you called us to do. And Lord, help us not to miss the target of the foundation of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we will be extra motivated knowing that you will evaluate our faithfulness to you. So Lord, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Help us to acknowledge the hard things. But Lord, let's be fired up. Help us be fired up, excited, enthusiastic for the work you have for us. What a joy, what a privilege.